0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am delighted to be here for session number 165 of... What are we doing? Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's what we're doing tonight. Excellent. Uh, so, of course, we rejoin Gandalf atop um, Orthanc tonight. Uh, we'll see if we get him off. I doubt we'll get him off the tower tonight, but uh, we will at least get a chance to talk about uh, the stuff that uh, Gandalf is thinking about. Um, his sort of consideration of his predicament as he is there on top of the tower. Um, so that's um uh so that's gonna be uh so that's gonna be fun um just a a quick announcement uh before we get uh started in the text i just wanted to mention again um that uh our brand new program is launching very soon we are like so close to being able to launch the website and registration we hope to have that up by tomorrow even uh, so uh, we, are, uh, we, are, we are getting there, but keep your eye out for the Signum Academy clubs, getting really excited. We've been planning, you know, been talking with our teachers about uh, uh, what our initial offerings are going to be. Uh, We're going to be offering book clubs, writing clubs. Uh, foreign language conversation clubs uh, the, the conversation club will be in Spanish at the beginning uh, so we're going to do Spanish conversation we'll be adding from there and then also translation club which will be working on Anglo-Saxon and Old Norse probably Anglo-Saxon first um, uh, and those are going to be starting in January. Um, and we're going to offer all four of those clubs at three different age levels for, uh, upper elementary grades three through five, uh, another club, uh, for middle school kids from age, uh, from, uh, grades six to eight, and then for, uh, high schoolers, uh, from, uh, grades nine to 12. Um, so anyway, that's, um, uh, that's what we're going to be offering again. That's going to start up in January, but we're hoping to begin conversations with folks who are interested to register. Uh, so anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited because uh, I know people have, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, students out there have been really. Uh, not able to do the kinds of really fun extracurricular stuff. And I know that school has not been all that it could be uh, for for folks recently. So we're really excited to offer uh, a really fun and you know academically speaking really high impact kind of opportunity to be able to uh, get in a really good environment um, with folks who know how to do remote learning really well and <laughs> not to brag but we do uh, and uh, anyway just um, uh, really be able to be a part of this really fun community uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time um, so anyway that's what is happening. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Keep your eye out on the signumuniversity.org website uh, for the links to that, which should be up here, uh, uh, which should be up here very soon. So, um, that's our big announcement. Really looking forward to beginning those programs soon, and I hope you will check them out. Um, and in the meantime, let us get back to Gandalf on top of the tower. So. We talked about his view of Isengard and what that sort of suggests about uh, Saruman. One of the things I was most interested in uh, in that passage was the the, the link, the causal link that Gandalf perceived between or appears to perceive based on how he expressed it uh, between seeing armies of orcs in Isengard, and concluding that Saruman is not yet in the service of Sauron, which seems at first like a kind of um, uh, counterintuitive sort of conclusion to draw, right? Um, But yet, it is the one that he draws. Uh, Anyway, so now, tonight we rejoin the text at the paragraph in which Gandalf talks about his thinking through the larger consequences of the situation, right? Um... Okay, so the um, uh, the his description of his thoughts is as follows. That the nine had indeed arisen, I felt assured, apart from the words of Saruman, which might be lies. Long ere I came to Isengard, I had heard tidings by the way that could not be mistaken. Fear was ever in my heart for my friends in the Shire, but still I had some hope. I I hoped that Frodo had set forth at once, as my letter had urged, and that he had reached Rivendell before the deadly pursuit began. And both my fear and my hope proved ill-founded, for my hope was founded on a fat man in Bree, and my fear was founded on the cunning of Sauron. But fat men who sell ale have many calls to answer, and the power of Sauron is still less than fear makes it. But in the circle of Isengard, trapped and alone, it was not easy to think that the hunters before whom all have fled or fallen would falter in the Shire far away. Okay. Um, So. Several things, I think, are particularly interesting here. And yeah, uh, Carrie, I agree. Uh, I think that it is really interesting uh to i love the way that gandalf describes both his hope and his fear uh, as being ill-founded in the end, right? I, 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 though I, I like even more, yes, there. Well, I really like the, the parallel, right, that he establishes between Barlam and Butterbur and Sauron, right? I mean, he sets it up in what seems to me a deliberately comical fashion, right? Like, this as if there's, like, the two titans, the one representing hope and the other representing fear, uh, kind of squaring off, a, you know, one in the west and one in the east and the east Rises the dark specter of Sauron, and in the west, to oppose him, uh, bearing the hope of the world, rises a fat man in Brie, Barlam, and Butterbur. And I think that's uh, really kind of delightful. Um, uh, But of course, it's it's wonderful because it's wonderful in both directions, right? It's delightfully comical. Um, You know, it, it, it puts his hope into a sort of appropriate context, right? When he's like, on the one hand, I had Sauron and the Great, and then on the other hand, I had Butterbur, right? Which sort of uh, gives a nice um, sort of uh, um, self-deprecatory contextualization, right? Of his his hopes. you know, so like, clearly I was getting my hopes up a little too high when I had Butterbur on the other side of, uh, of, of Sauron there. But at the same time, it's also delightfully kind of, um, it's also delightfully kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, um, disrespectful of Sauron, right? Um, I mean, it puts his own fears of Sauron in context as well, right? The hunters before whom all have fled or fallen. Um, But yet, at the same time, right, it turns out that, uh, you know, what what is it that Saruman, sorry, the one person that we're not talking about, what is it that Sauron and Butterbur have in common? What they have in common here, the thread that connects them, is that Gandalf overestimates their competence, Right? Both of them. He overestimated the competence of Butterbur that he was capable of sending the letter that he left with him. Exactly, Carrie. The one incompetence is exactly there what they have in common, um, and his his fear also rests on the on the competence of Sauron. And neither one of them turn out to be to do the job right. Neither his hope nor his fear uh, come through. And again, I just I love the effect that that has in both directions. I just I think that that a whole construction. Uh, is really just sort of deliciously constructed, and of course, in the end, I think that the bigger slap right uh is is against Sauron I mean you know uh it's of course he's of course not thinking kindly of Butterbur at this point but uh um but it's hardly you know a deadly insult to imagine even briefly Butterbur as you know the bearer of hope against Sauron here um But, um, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I, I agree, trifle. There is a certain matter of, um, degree of difficulty (laughs) of their two tasks. You're absolutely correct. Right. You know, find one loose piece of jewelry in, on an entire continent on the one hand and, uh, uh, and (laughs) post a letter on the other hand, um, yeah 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 um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but I agree, Tessa, it is only fair to say that they were both given tasks appropriate to their standing and power in the world, so you know, you could say that like you know with you know kind of handicapped based upon their abilities right they they start they started off even right, and neither one of them finishes um. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And also, Matt, I agree, in further fairness, uh, Butterbird does, in fact, succeed in delivering his letter uh, to Frodo sooner than Sauron figures out, you know, uh, what the plan uh, is for the ring. Um, Though, Matt, you know, I mean, if you consider the Witch King as Sauron's proxy here, uh, you know, the hunters before whom all have uh, fled or fallen... Um, they do kind of get on the trail of the ring faster than Butterbur gets on the trail of uh, the uh, intended audience of his letter. Um, but still, I, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, Sauron doesn't end up with the ring, and Frodo does end up with the letter. So you know, eventual points to Bombadil, I guess. Um, <laughs> Gil Galthir points out also, Butterbur does have a day job. <laughs> it's true. This is just a side gig for him, whereas Sauron really is dedicating himself more or less full time to global domination. So I think that that's also that's that's also fair. It really is. This really is Sauron's day job. I mean, you have to admit. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so are we arguing that Bob and Nob are the equivalent of the Nazgul in this parallel? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that Nob is like the witch king right? Now, there's a sentence I didn't think I'd ever say. I think that Nob is like the Witch King, right? Clearly the most trusty uh, and greatest of, of Butterbur's servants, <laughs> right? Um, by the way, I've just been doing recently I'm doing my uh year-end Lord of the Rings reread. So I'm reading through the text at this blistering pace of like a chapter a day. Uh and I just this past week uh have been reading uh rereading the Fellowship of the Ring and um uh you know did the prancing pony chapters just uh, uh in the last few days. And I have to tell you. I I mean I could not be more conv- you know reading through the chapters at speed. I could not be more con- I think that I undersold the case for Bob being a hobbit. It is c- obvious that Bob is a hobbit. I mean, there's no question in my mind that Bob is a hobbit. Um, I think that the indirect evidence, I mean, it doesn't say explicitly, but the indirect evidence is just there in heaps. It's there in heaps. Um, there is no way if one of them were a hobbit and one of them were a human that they would be talked about as a single unit. Let's, let's get Nob and Bob, say the hobbits, right? Um, they relate to Nob. I mean, Nob obviously we see and he connects with them but, um, uh, but, uh, that the hobbits all refer to Knob and Bob collectively as a unit. I mean, it's clear they're both hobbits. They would not refer to them that way. They would not just lump Bob in with Knob, uh, if, uh, if Bob, if Bob were, were human. It's just, it's not, it's not really a plausible theory. It's really, it's really not, um, um. Bob is such a human name. Well, so is Tom, but that's a troll, right? So what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, um, uh, exactly. Green Great Dragon says he, he'd be Nob's big man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so anyway, anyway, sorry. Didn't want to, uh, didn't want to, actually, yeah, I did want to uh, start Stir, stir up all debates. As I've been rereading those chapters this week, I'm like, I can't believe we even had an argument about this. What's to argue about? Holy cow. Um, but um, anyway, um, maybe Bob is the name of a common plant in the Breelands. Well, no, Bob is his first name. They all have botanical, not all of them, but they tend to have botanical last names right bill isn't a botanical name either but Fernie is uh and of course this obviously applies to uh humans and to uh, uh and to the hobbits as well the botanical bit i mean um but um uh yeah, well, Dan, I do think that they're referred to as Nob and Bob because of their coincidentally rhyming names. Except, I think it's not a coincidence, right? I mean, they're a unit. Uh, but again, even if their names rhymed, if especially remember, this is the Hobbits' first experience. I mean, it's you know, all, all of them. I think all of their first experience with humans at all. Like they've never even met humans before. They're not just gonna like latch on to Bob like they do Nob. They clearly do relate to Nob right? And it's one of the things, you know, the appearance of Nob, the the appearance of another hobbit in the hallways of the Prancing Pony is clearly one of the things that sets them at ease. They're initially set at ease by hearing the song outside, right? But uh, they're set at ease by seeing Nob and then they just they just lump Bob right in there with Nob, right? And speak of them both together with equal fellow feeling. No question in my mind. No question in my mind. Um, uh. Yeah. So that's, that's the, it's, that's the, no, Sam, it's not about the, the rhyme doesn't prove that he's a hobbit. It is the way that the, that the hobbit characters speak of Bob that makes it. Perfectly clear to me uh, that Bob is, a, is uh, that Bob is a is a, a Hobbit. So from uh, for those of you who are joining us late, and I know there are a bunch of folks on Twitter who might not have been around for episode eighty five or whenever it was we had this debate originally. Um, but okay, in the text, it does not actually explicitly say uh, what the. Uh, race of bob in bree is uh, in the prancing pony um and i kind of came, i confessed when we got to those passages that i had always my entire life assumed uh, that bob was a hobbit now of course upon reading it again since then i perfectly well see why um but um uh but anyway there was debate. Some people were saying, oh no, Bob is human. And so we've been fighting about this for years. Um, but of course we have, uh, uh, it's, I think it's perfectly clear. And so, yes, I, Dan is posting his picture of his Bob is a Hobbit, uh, face mask that he got from our Signum store. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, okay. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm now finished. With the Bob digression, it's just—it's been—it's been on my mind. It's been on my mind for days as I've been rereading *The Fellowship of the Ring*. I'm like, I can't even believe I entertained the question that the idea that uh, Bob was a uh, Bob was a human, JJ. You're just wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's just no other way about it. Um, okay. Um, so, um, um, there is a place, JJ, where they uh, um, where they where they where they call for Nob and Bob. Uh, It is more than just Butterbur who lumps them together. Um, (laughs) Okay, Brunier says, so do Balrogs have wings. Okay, no, no, I'm not going to rise to bait that obvious. So let's get back to Gandalf's ruminations. Butterbur, which led me to this whole digression in the first place, versus Sauron, right, on the other side. Um, And how... His fears of either one of their comp, his hopes and fears for their competence both prove to be ill founded. Now, note that the very first thing he raises is the question of maybe the whole thing was a hoax in the first place, right? He came down to Rivendell, and to Rivendell, he came down to Isengard on the premise, right, that the Nazgul were coming. Um, but remember, I don't think that Gandalf is very concerned that that he's. I don't think he's really very concerned that that's a lie from the beginning. Remember that he was experiencing a dread. That's why he left the Shire in the first place, right? He left Frodo because he says something. I, I'm 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 uneasy, right? Something doesn't feel right, and I got to find out what it is. So he goes and he travels uh, and asks people questions outside the borders of the Shire. Um, we were speculating at the time that it seems likely that he's consulting with rangers at that point to try to get the news and figure out what's going on. Um, and he's hearing other rumors that are making him uneasy as well. And it isn't until he meets Radagast and Radagast says, the Nazgul are coming. And as soon as Radagast says that, Gandalf testifies that he says, you know, I knew then what my heart had feared. Right? So... Um, he has already had this impulse, right? Um, uh, So I don't think that he's thinking the entire, I don't think that he is exactly, um, 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 yeah, yeah. I don't think he is, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think he is exactly, um, uh, in, in real fear that he was just, deceived completely all the way through. Um, but he'd notice how he does raise the possibility. Like you can see Gandalf doubting himself here, right? Um, maybe I was just a sucker all the way along. You know, maybe I was just, you know, uneasy. And then, um, um, uh, I was just uneasy. And then I, I, you know, heard you know heard the story, the plausible story of the Nazgul, and got freaked out. Um, but no, uh, long ere I came to Isengard, I had heard tidings by the way that could not be mistaken. One of the things that this demonstrates clearly, right? Um, one of the things that this demonstrates clearly is that the Nazgul have already passed through the Gap of Rohan, right? they're already north of Isengard when gandalf is coming down he is he is passing through a zone that already has news of the nazgûl and this we should we should believe, we should understand this, right? This is not hard to understand because we've been told when Gandalf was asking around, you know, originally, he was hearing stories that remember there were like whispers that he was hearing of a nameless fear that people didn't really understand, right? The 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 the, the rumors of the Nazgul circulating in this area were already around, right? And this of course um uh This, of course, yeah. Terlani, I agree, news travels faster than Nazgul, so that doesn't necessarily mean that the Nazgul were already right at the southern borders of the Shire, just because he heard, started hearing rumors uh, at the southern borders of the Shire. Um, But it does, and uh, Forth Dauntless was thinking a similar thing. Um, Absolutely, I think the rumors came north faster than the riders themselves, but I doubt that the rumors went through the Gap of Rohan and up the road, mostly just because very few people travel that way, right? Um, uh, I mean, it's possible. But I suspect that this means that the Nazgul were already um, to the west of the mountains at this point. And remember, they're, they don't know where they're going, right? Um, so they're going to they're gonna take, um, take some time here uh, to get up. Uh, Mad Violinist says, uh, news travels fast in dense population. The timing of all this has always troubled me. Yes, I think that as we've been going through and thinking through a bunch of this stuff, we have seen some places where, some spots already in the narrative, where things, (laughs) people, will have had to travel very quickly. Right, in order for things to work, this is something that we've um we've seen uh on a number of occasions um uh but I think that that's um it's just possible I would ask you to remember that Tolkien spent a lot of time jiggering with the timeline here uh with the story um in his whole revision process and Ended up, there are so many different factors, right? I mean, he he ended up, especially kind of working backwards, like the oh my goodness, the uh, the messing around of the dates, even just like by a day or two in either direction, um, especially during the time after the party splits, right? Oh man, it gets really complicated then, and trying to keep in line like what's happening on what day, um, and then you know changing his mind about some of the story elements and so having to shift things around um it got really really complicated and he spent a lot of time uh those of you who did the Mythgard Academy uh, uh discussions with me on the history of the Lord of the Rings books will remember that I I that's the the one element of those books that I didn't spend that much time focusing on I tended to kind of skim over the sections where You know, Christopher was like, and now more on the dates, right? Uh, But it's all there, right? And you can sort of see some of these decisions that he was making. And obviously, many of these decisions kind of rippled backwards uh, into some of the earlier dates as well. Um, But um, uh, anyway, yeah. Now, Dan, that's an excellent question. Uh, He says, uh, the refugees that Gandalf was questioning, uh, uh... In the north, we never did figure out what they were supposed to, where they're supposed to be traveling from. Yes, or, like, from what exactly they're running, right? That also isn't really perfectly clear. Um, Who are they, these refugees? Are they Dunlending refugees? Are they people from, they, they presumably not from Rohan? I mean, they could conceivably be from like the Westfold, but would they be traveling all the way up to Bree? And if not them, then then who exactly? Um, Presumably there are other peoples who live in the lands between, you know, Dunland and Bree, which is a lot of blank space in the map, blank space with, you know, the ruins of Tharbad in the middle of it. Um, That whole section of the Enidwyth and Eregion and everything else, um, we know very little about occupants, you know, about residents of those places. Um, But I um, would... um, I don't see any necessary reason to believe that those lands are wholly uninhabited. Um, I would imagine that... um, uh, I would imagine that it's very possible that there are communities there, not unlike the communities of the Woodmen that we see on the outskirts of uh, Merkwood. I don't mean that they're like related to them; that we have reason to think that they crossed over the mountains and set up settlements. It's not, I don't mean anything that specific. I mean, just as you know, it's we can't just look at um, the map, right? And identify the like, countries or cities that we know of from the book, right? From the you know the major events of the book, and think that those are all the people that there are, right? So we've got like Rohan, okay, that's where the Rohirrim live. So there's the there's the Rohirrim there, and there's the Dunlendings over there, and there's like the Bardings of Dale, and there's the Bjornings of the Wood over here, and over there there's nobody, right? It's just like tumbleweeds from one end to the next. I don't think there's any reason to think that. There may well be lots of small settlements uh, of folks, right, who live there. Like there were bunches of small, before the Bjornings were a people, right? There were just a a bunch of random, small, scattered settlements of people, like small rural, you know, uh, communities that were not part of any nation, that were just independent you know, homesteaders and households and things along the edges, and Bjorn forms them into a people, right? And that's who the Bjornings become. That happens right at the end of The Hobbit, right? When, uh, you know, Bjorn decides to become a public figure uh, at the, you know, in like the second to last chapter of The Hobbit. Um, So I I think there's every reason to think that there are similar kinds of communities so that there are people who live in those areas. the, the areas that are not marked as being part of a country, you know, as being part of a nation. Um, so we know, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, praise, as you were saying that they, um, uh, that they, um, we're, they're coming from the south, right? the, 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 the We know the Squintide Southerner uh, is coming from the south, south of Bree, right? They're all coming up the Greenway. That's plain. That's explicit. That we know. But again, my question is, from where? Right? Because there are only a few options. From Dunland, from Rohan, or from somewhere between vaguely Dunland and Bree, which is a long stretch of area. Um, uh, so... Uh, so, yeah, what's the southern end of the Greenway? Well, I mean, Minas Tirith, basically. I mean, if the road goes to Minas Tirith, and it goes through the gap of Rohan, um, and then up through, uh, so you know, is it all considered officially the Greenway? Um, is, so, Tomas, is it possible that they're Rui from south? Like, that they're people from Umbar or something? That I would be very skeptical of. Um, and Yeah, I would be I would be very skeptical. Um, Could they be refugees from Gondor, people who went north rather than journeying to the coast? (sighs) Possibly, possibly. I can imagine, Matt, it is just possible for me to imagine, as you're suggesting, that the southern coasts of Gondor were being raided right, by the Corsairs, and people were fleeing inland. But there's fleeing inland, and then there's fleeing inland, right, I mean, like, if you lived, say you lived on like the Gulf Coast of America, right, so say you lived, you know, on like the, you know, the, in the Florida Panhandle, or like the south coast of Alabama, or something like that, right, you lived about there, and your the coast was being raided by pirates, right? Possibly invaded. And you wanted to flee to a safe place. Would you consider like Manitoba a safe place? <laughs> like, would you not stop until you reached Manitoba? Like I, you know, I, I go, I, I don't see that. I don't see, I mean, that's a heck of a hike from the South coast of Gondor all the way up to Brie. right? I mean, I, I maybe it, Get as far as Tennessee? I don't know. You know, maybe. Um, but uh, uh, but I mean Georgia, like, <laughs> but not you know, Saskatchewan. It's 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 a long way from Southern Gondor. So I've got to think. I mean, in my mind, um, um, <laughs> right? Brandon says it depends on how close an encounter with the Nazgul I'd had. Right? It's true. You might still be running when you get to Manitoba, possibly. Uh, but, um. um yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I hear that, but um um so yeah, um and I agree Sam, if you're um if you are in um if you're from Gondor, you would think that their first thought would be to go up and go through the gap of Rohan into or into Rohan, right? The land of their allies. Surely they'd be safe from coastal raiders in like the Westfold, right? I mean, surely the corsairs aren't going to chase them that far um but um yeah, oh, I see Matt is thinking of uh the uh possibly uh invading uh ships or boats sailing up uh you know the brandywine to Sarn Ford or the gray flood up to Tharbad now that's certainly possible, those rivers are certainly navigable, i would think, um and of course. That's exactly the kind of thing the Vikings did all over the place, right? Um, you know, that's why it's how the uh, the Vikings ended up invading, like, Russia, <laughs> right? Because they would go up rivers. Um, so, yep, I can imagine that. So, but again, but so that wouldn't be people from the southern coast of Gondor. That would be, um, you know, that would be... Um, you know that would again assume that there were folks in that area. So if the you know say the corsairs did invade so far as like Tharbad, um, that you know that there were folks in that area who would you know who could be driven um, uh, further north from there. That's possible. But the other thing that I think is um, um, the other thing that I think here is Isengard. Saruman Saruman is keeping a low profile, right? We I mean we know he was keeping a low profile even to try to you know we talked last time about him sort of concealing developments in Isengard, right? He would certainly consider them developments and, you know, not uh, uh you know, they they would be steps up, right? Not steps down. Um but um uh but anyway, um they would um right, so he, we saw we talked about him concealing those things f- you know, so that he could entrap Gandalf um and again, if anyone is tempted to think, well, that's a heck of a lot of trouble to deceive one person. Not if that one person might be bringing to you the ring of power, right? The one ring upon which your entire strategy focuses. If your whole stage one of your global conquest plan involves luring this one person in uh, to your trap and trapping him and killing him and taking the ring from him, if that's plan A, you're gonna go to any amount of trouble to make sure that that trap is properly set. So I don't think that that's in any way unlikely. Um, But anyhow, um, Saruman is still keeping a low profile. Obviously he's not revealed himself to uh, Rohan yet, right? Um, He's still attempting to deceive Rohan, but is he being more open to the West? In Dunland, for instance, we know that he's doing um uh we know that he's doing recruiting over there right that he's so uh, what he's doing with what the the one thing we know for an absolute fact that he has been doing um is recruiting the dun lendings to join his armies right um and so and that's not something that happens overnight uh so i'm thinking he's already been doing that and he's not going to do that in secret right? he's not going to be sending secret emissaries to be like Don't tell anyone else, but uh, I'm secretly setting up a new power and I'd like you to join me. He's not going to come to the Dunlendings as as a conspirator, right? He's going to come to the Dunlendings as an overlord and take their service. That's the relationship he wants to establish with them. I think it's pretty clearly, yeah, Sam says, send thousands of troops my way as quietly as you can, right? Yeah, no. So I think to the West, I think that the gamble that Saruman is making, would have had to make in order to um, uh, build Dunlending armies and add the Dunlendings to his armies. I think that the the balance he will have to have done is to try to conceal his, you know, burgeoning overlordship in an eastward direction, right, towards the rest of Rohan, but be open about it towards the West. And he could travel into Dunland, you know, have his people travel into Dunland before they did um, um, uh, before they did uh, uh, their recruiting. Um, but um, but I think there that he could rely upon the lack of um, the lack of communication, right? The Dunlundings and the Rohirrim don't get along. They don't exactly have you know, convivial neighborly relationships over there. And they're also divided geographically, you know? I mean, like, there's the the mountains and the gap of Rohan. You know, it's it's not like it's just the next village is just right over there, right? Where, where the Dunlendings live, and you're naturally going to run into them all the time. Um, I don't... Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you'd have to do that openly, but there there'd be a natural sort of separation there um, but um anyway so um uh, not saying there aren't problems with this construction but it's interesting right i mean it's interesting to think of how these other things now sarah i think i saw you asking a, a very sensible question um about the breeding of the uruk High, right? And Matt was talking about this as well. Um, uh, I don't assume at all that there is a super accelerated growth of the uruk high. He's not growing the uruk in, you know, uh, mud pits under Isengard. uh, uh, you know, orcs are viviparous, um, uh, you know, so they, they're going to be bearing live young and uh, uh, raising them. So, yes, he would have had to have been breeding the Uruk The fact that there are grown up Uruk high uh, in Isengard shows that he's been at this for some time. Um, and yes, he needed human stock in order to um, breed the Uruk-hai. And when Tolkien talked about the breeding of the Uruk-hai uh, in some of his orc discussions that we just talked about at the very end, you know, when we discussed the very last, you know, 20 pages of Morgoth's Ring um, uh, about a month ago, we were reading the passage where he talked about this and says that in order for the uruk High to be bred, it's not just it's so it's not only, Sarah, that they the Uruk-hai babies horrible babies need time to grow up right but he also needed time to corrupt the mommies and daddies right the human mommies and daddies uh in order uh to encourage his breeding program so yeah it's a generational project he has been working on this for decades the orcae project right um and that does suggest to me that he is um uh uh, sort of... <laughs> okay. The piliest thing is it said somewhere that the orcs have to breed like everyone else. Yeah, Morgoth's ring. But, look. <laughs> the orc question, okay? Like, this is the great, you know, the greatest question that Tolkien never answered. But this was one of the things, you know, as he was trying to sort out the question of orc origins, right, and how orcs can work and how orcs can make sense, there were a few like, bottom-line principles that he basically sort of, uh, like, agreed on, right? That he was like, okay, you know, <laughs> we hold these few orc truths to be self-evident, right? And then everything else we got to figure out a way to, uh, um, a way to, to sort out. And one of the things, Lupilia, was that, that the orcs have to be capable of breeding on their own, on their own, like, not just being grown, uh, by, um, uh, by you know, wizards or evil overlords, because during the interregnum periods, right during the time after the fall of Melkor and before the rise of Sauron, for instance, after the fall of Sauron and before the re-rise of Sauron, um, there had there are centuries. That go by in which the orcs are operating autonomously, and they have to be able to continue to breed biologically uh, in the, you know during those times um, so he um, uh, he definitely um, concluded that orcs breed and bear live young normally in that way um, but um yeah, yeah. And Tessa, yes, I agree. We can still see evidence of um, <clears throat> autonomous or at least semi-autonomous orc societies in the Goblins in the Misty Mountains. Sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> JJ says, may I just say, I am glad George R. R. Martin wasn't writing this bit. Um, I, I hear you. JJ, I hear you on that. Um, But um, anyway, so this seems to be the fact of the matter, right? We are being asked to believe, one way or another, we are being asked to believe that the Isengard operations have been underway for decades, Where did he get the orcs, the orc stock to start with? I mean, that took some doing. He didn't, he didn't whistle them up, right? He didn't, he didn't get sent a batch of recruits from Sauron, right? Where he had to have some orcs to start with in order to breed the Urukai. Where did he get those? And how did he bring them into his service? So again, there's, um, there's a lot. Now I know we don't know how long it takes the orcs to mature exactly, but it doesn't matter. I mean, even if it's only, even if an orc goes you know, from fetus to adult in a year, which I don't think very likely at all. But even if that were true, he would still have to have been doing this for years, right? So, um, you know, I, um, I, I, um, it's clear that this project has been going on, uh, for some time. So, um, I It's possible to imagine how his Uruk High breeding project could be done kind of under lock and key, right? That could be done, that could be done in the mountains, that could be done, you know, in that could be done under Isengard, that could be, you know, there's lots of places where he could be that doesn't have to happen on a massive scale, or he didn't have to originally. He's got quite a large army of them now, so presumably he's been stepping up production recently. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so oh, that's interesting. WKU is pointing to. Uh, I I think that's that's really interesting. Uh, The Lord of the Rings card game created by Fantasy Flight Games. And he said, in that game, there's a quest in which you have to catch an orc and bring it to Saruman. And the time period is shortly after Bilbo's return from Erebor. Yeah, so you can see, you know, that other set of Tolkien readers, right? The ones who made that game thinking through this exact same question and saying and coming to a similar conclusion. He has to have been working on this for decades, right? He has to have. Um yeah it's not evidence of course uh but it is interesting to see uh what other people are 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 thinking there as well so anyway i'm not saying that he's starting to make orcs from scratch don't get me wrong um you know i don't think that you know we're just sort of uh, imagining him like looking at melkor's old recipe and being like you know how much slime do i add again like that's not what i'm suggesting um uh he absolutely Uh, he absolutely can, um, you know, go, go convince a bunch of, but again, I'm saying you don't, you don't get even just the orcs, forget the Dunlendings. You don't get, you know, an army of like 10,000 orcs, all of whom are, you know, devoted and loyal to you and your cause, even against Sauron, mind, um... And which also contains at least a significant subpopulation of a new species that you have bred yourself probably over numerous generations in order to get the balance right. Because he has bred two different breeds of part orc. You have the orc men and the men orcs. Um, the squint-eyed southerner uh, is one of the orc men. Um, uh, like Ooglook uh, is one of the men orcs. So there are two, definitely, uh, you might have thought, as I thought for many years, that those two phrases, uh, these half-orcs and goblin men, was just like a synonym, right? Or, you know, someone, I think it's Amir who says that in the Battle of Helm's Deep, um, I, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, um, I... You might have thought that he was just. I always thought heard that as him just like kind of stumbling for the right word, right? No, he he means there are two different populations, um, but um, anyway. So um, I I the point is again. I just I cannot see. I cannot see how Saruman has not been up to this for quite a long time, um, and of late. Insignificant numbers. So, why am I talking about all this? This is all relevant to the question where are the refugees coming from and why? That's why I think it is possible. Um, Matt, I, I, I can't discount the idea, I like the idea of the corsairs doing shoreland raids and the idea of the corsairs doing inland raids like the Vikings might have done, right up the rivers. Um, Certainly, it's not impossible or inconceivable in any way that that could be happening. Um, I doubt that that's happening primarily because the people of Minas Tirith are sending their women and children, like, down towards the coast for safety. Uh, Anyway, but but nevertheless, that's not that's not really the point. We know the corsairs are attacking. We know the corsairs are a problem in the south, and even not too very far away from where the women and children of Minas Tirith have gone. Um, I mean, they don't have all that many awesome options <laughs> when it comes to evacuating Minas Tirith at that point. Um, but the point is, um, I think that it's more likely that the. Um, There is a more proximate source of trouble. Um, And it's Isengard. I think that the western side of Isengard, Dunland has obviously been receiving some attentions, right? Um, And my suspicion is that there are orcs involved as well. This is something that I think is very... um, I really like this particular interpretive leap that the Lotro designers have made in the Lord of the Rings Online, because I think it very plausible that Dunland would have become a sort of a polarized place. We we know nothing about from the books. We're told almost nothing about what is going on in Dunland, right? But the idea that Saruman has come in as this external force has induced many to join him, with the promises that he is going to, uh, you know, give them, you know. Calanarthen back, right? He's going to give them back their old lands um, and uh, uh, he's going to uh, but like some resent it and some resist, you know n- less than 100% of Dunland comes around, you know, some of the tribes, some of the different you know peoples in Dunland are probably not going to Want anything to do with him for various reasons, some good, some bad, maybe who knows um, but um but the idea that some are going to try to stay independent and so that therefore there's going to be there's going be troubles, right there's going to be uh, difficulties um, from which some would f- will flee, and others will flee from the rumors of them, right so that I can easily imagine the situation in in dunland you know, how much it might have been exactly like what was depicted in The Lord of the Rings Online, I don't know, but that whole scenario seems to me extremely plausible. Um, Something like that almost must be happening, it seems to me, in Dunlund. Um, His recruitment, Saruman's recruitment, can't be absolute, and so there must be resistance, and so there must be infighting, and he must be trying to suppress those who are attempting to undermine his sway over the others, right, there almost has to have been violence. Um, in Dunland, and yes, a kind of colonialism right now, absolutely, absolutely, and as you say, um, uh, uh, um all of the socio-political chaos that goes along with that, absolutely, and presumably a ripple effect up through that part of Eriador, right, where even if it's not Dunlendings themselves who have made it up as far as Bree, right, even if the so let's imagine that in the Enidwife. Uh, And even north of the ended wife, there are scattered settlements of people, right? Um, Scattered settlements of people who are, you know, not affiliated with any land or lord or anything, so they don't have a label on the map or anything like that, but there's folk that live there. Um, well, their lands are now suddenly invaded by Dunland refugees, right, as people, f- you know, the the losing side, which at this point would be the anti-Saruman factions, right, are fleeing Dunland, and north is by far the obvious place for them to flee. They're not going to flee south into Gondor. They're certainly not going to flee right past Saruman's front door and into Rohan, uh, who are not fond of them anyway. North is obviously where those refugees are going to go. And then there's going to be troubles there, right? As the, you know, the homesteaders who are set up there are going to be like, oh, you know, like now we're getting invaded from the south and there would likely be incidents of violence and stuff. And so some of them are going to um, be then fleeing to the north. So it's this kind of, uh, this kind of ripple effect that I would expect to lead to the refugees in Brie that we hear about when we get to the Prancing Pony. Um, That's the only thing that makes sense to me. It's not the only thing. Again, I can imagine other scenarios, but that seems to me the likeliest explanation uh, for what we're talking about. I saw somebody... um, I saw somebody... um, I saw somebody ask, and I'm coming back, to Turambar, to that very excellent question. Um, but um, uh, I saw somebody ask before, how long ago, for how long have the refugees been coming north? And the answer is not that long. Um, it's fairly recent. Um, it's described as a recent phenomenon um, at Bree at the Prancing Pony. They don't, they do not give the impression at all. I mean, the things that they say seem to me very much to suggest that the refugees have not been coming up for years. It's recent that they've been coming up. Um, Now again, it would take some time uh, for the ripple effect there. It's also possible that some of the ref, well... Yeah, it is possible that some of the refugees in Bree, it possible that they're even fleeing the Nazgul now that seems isolated, right? That is, I mean, if you live in a homestead or, um, you know, a, 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 a settlement, a small settlement, uh, uh, you know, down there, and the Nazgul come into town, you're going to be freaked out. Are you going to up stakes and leave just because something scary came through town? I would kind of doubt that. Um, but, um, So, Mad Violinist, it isn't that Gandalf would necessarily think that the migration was due to the Nazgul, but he would have been hearing that there were, that they, in the, I I think that their encounters with the Nazgul happen while they are on the road. That's what I think. Um, There were people on the road, and of the people that Gandalf meets on the road, some of them have heard rumors, or tell him rumors of scary encounters that they have had, which leads him to conclude that, um, uh, which leads him to conclude that this is um, uh, the, that, that he's hearing evidence of the presence of the Nazgul. Um, so, um, yeah, good. Irindus is remembering the quote that in, in the in the common room of the Prancing Pony one of the travelers was foretelling that more and more people would be coming north in the near future. Now see that, Irindus, that line always um, uh, always sounds to me like deliberate plans of Isengardian expansionism. Right? We know the squint-eyed southerner. Well, I think that even at the time of the Lord of the Rings. Let me say that even more carefully. I believe that by the time he finished writing the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien was confident that the squint-eyed southerner in the inn was a spy of Saruman's. Right? Um, so he is clearly sending spies among the refugees to the north. Um, the person who said that in the inn, Irindis, I think might well have been my friend Quinn, the squint-eyed southerner. Um, but... Um, Uh, But anyway, I do think it reflects the fact that Isengard, that Saruman, has plans for northward expansion, which, of course, only makes sense, right? He needs to build and expand a power base. He started that in Dunland, right? But, I mean, if he's going to really try to set himself up as a continental power opposed to Sauron right? Sauron has the entire East and you know, he has all of Rune and Harad that he's drawing from, right? To draw personnel for his armies and everything. You know, Sauron needs to make with the recruitment, and he has a comparatively free hand to the west of the mountains, or at least, I'm sure he'd look at it that way, right? Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I, uh, so this is what I'm thinking. Now, bar back to your excellent question, and I think others asked it before earlier on. How would Gandalf not hear about this, right? If there is, um, um, you know, if, if, if there is explicit um, Isengardian colonialism going on in Dunland, which is what's leading to the whole refugee issue in the first place, how is it that Gandalf never gets tipped off about this from any of the refugees that they meet? And I think, I think that that's that is to me imaginable, and it's imaginable because I don't think it's Dunlending's that he's meeting. Um, had he met Dunlending refugees, he would presumably, have talked to them and they would have said, like, yeah, we don't have any truck with that white wizard, so, you know, down with the white hand, we say, like, you know, that seems very likely that that would have come up. But those who have been displaced by the displaced Dunlendings, which is what I suspect the refugees in Bree are, um, as I said, that kind of ripple effect, moving north, um, they wouldn't necessarily know what, they wouldn't know why those Dunlendings had invaded. All they would know is, like, now all of a sudden, we're getting invaded by Dun by the Dunlendings, right? They've come and we can't fight them, so we just have to we just have to flee. Would they know why? Would they stop and talk with them to say, like, tell me about the socio-political unrest in Dunland that has led to your invasion of our territory? No, they'd be too busy running and screaming, right? So, um, I. So yeah, I, I I think yes. So I think that he's meeting people displaced by the dis- by the displaced Dunlending refugees. That is exactly what I think, Sam. Possibly people displaced by them can't rule that out. Um, um, and yes, yes, I'm trying to work that into a cunning. You know the people who have sacked the people who were sacked have just been sacked. Joke, but I, uh, but I, I, I'm not able to do it with sufficient cunning. Um, but anyway, yes. That, so I do. I think that that's possible. Yes. And keep in mind also, this kind of unrest not strange. Not really, even in a sense, particularly newsworthy. Remember the bit of the council that we skipped? I don't mean we we didn't skip any part of the council. I mean the part that the narrative skipped. Uh, The early part of which the tale of Glowin about what's happening in the Lonely Mountain was selected, was kind of cherry-picked as a representative sample. Remember that the the first agenda item on uh, the council's agenda was updates about... Difficulties and unrests that are going on, um, uh, that are going on around, um, around the world, you know, north, south, and, uh, north, south, and east. So, um, uh, anyway, I, um, um, I think that that's, that seems, it seems to me enough to explain why Gandalf, in his rush down because he's in a hurry for one thing, right I don't think he's having you know he's not like traveling for days alongside these people, right he would have conversations with them and ask them tidings clearly but um but again, I don't think um uh, I don't think that he's you know again he's not living with them for days and so going to hear some you know stray reference to the white wizard or something like that um uh he's going to know that there was there's trouble in dunland right and he's going to file that away like okay great there's trouble in dunland well you know maybe somebody's going to have to look into that at some point but again like there's unrest in lots of places right that's not like weird um that doesn't is not really something that sort of demands an explanation, in a sense, as long as he doesn't hear that it's Saruman himself. So, um, I, um, um, I think that, that, that seems to me to kind of hold together. Um, uh... Yeah. (laughs) JJ says even if he did hear them say something, he might just assume they confused Saruman and Sauron like many first-time readers do. (laughs) Can't rule it out. Can't rule it out, JJ. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and Flammifer, you're certainly correct. The uncertainty about whether or not the Rohirrim are or are not giving a tribute of black horses to Mordor indicates that the intelligence about the environs of Rohan and Dunland was patchy. Absolutely, it's patchy. Uh, more is guessed than was known, as they say. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so that's, that's, I think... The, that seems to me the most plausible reconstruction of what must have been happening there. So, it is through this chaos, right? Dunlending civil conflict, Dunlendings fleeing north, displacing people who are then fleeing north, some of whom end up in Brie. Among this, these crowd, this. You know, crowds of people, again, I don't think that they're like, it's not like, like, you know, between the Blue Mountains and the Misty Mountains is like, wall wall people, right? But folks who are there are, are experiencing this, and we have these straggling refugees heading north. Among those refugees, three things are happening. Right. One, Saruman is inserting spies, some of whom clearly have an expansion, expansionist tendencies, some of whom are clearly scouting out and laying the foundation for Saruman to if not invade, then uh um you know, begin establishment of an increased and a broadening power base to the west and north. Um So that's one thing that's happening, the spies of Saruman. The second thing that's happening is Gandalf coming south against the stream of them, right? And therefore encountering many of them on the road as the greenway is, excuse me, the fastest and best way north. Um, Yeah, Um, he's um, he's doing that, apparently. Yeah. And those are the ones that he's talking to, because the third thing that's happening among these refugees uh, is that there have been Nazgul sightings, or at least near encounters of Nazgul, or rumors of close encounters with Nazgul uh, that have been spreading up and down and around the road. Um, It is not obvious, by the way, that the Nazgul would just stick to the road and run because remember they're not they're not traveling to a destination. They don't know where the destination is. So they're gonna be um you know, like for all they know, this um wild land with the uncouth name of Shire uh is uh you know due west of the Gap of Rohan. Right. You know, so they have to, you know, beat the bushes all around the wild there, not just ride straight up the greenway uh, as fast as they can, like Gandalf is riding it down. Um, this is another reason why I think it's very plausible to imagine that rumors of the Nazgul um, reach up even to the, you know, south of Bree by the time Gandalf comes out to get tidings um, there, you know, right before midsummer. Um, because it's entirely possible that some of the refugees have traveled north all the way up to Bree long before they could have had an encounter or a close encounter with the Nazgul way down in the south, right? Down like south of Tharbad, right? But by, but they get up to Bree before the Nazgul get that far because, they're, again, they're not going straight. They're searching around the countryside. Um, um yeah, no, Frumius Bujama, I'm not saying that they actually talked to the Nazgul. But yes, there's on them sits a fear of which they would not speak, says Gandalf, before he hears about the Nazgul from Radagast. And on the way down, he says, I heard tidings that could not be mistaken. Not 100% sure. Um, not 100% sure what um, uh, the... Uh, um, not 100% sure what those tidings that could not be mistaken are, but I'm, you know, and nor is it necessarily obvious to me that those tidings have to come from humans, right? Um, You know, uh, with bird on bow and beast in den in their own secret tongues, he spoke, right? So he could be talking to animals uh, and birds along the way and from them hearing tidings that he Cannot mistake as obvious evidence uh, that the uh, uh, that the Nazgul are, are en route, uh, but it seems to me very likely um, that um, uh, it seems to me very likely that the some of the refugees have been afraid. Right. So the fear of which they would not speak. Again, they don't have to have had the kind of encounter with black riders that Farmer Maggot does. Right. You know, uh, talking to a Nazgul who offers to come back with gold. Right. All they need to do is to have been in camp when the Nazgul passed by in the night. Right. Which they'd certainly be traveling by night. Um, so if they, they just passed near them and all had nightmares. Right and they don't want to talk about it. Like, they got really freaked out. They don't know why they got really freaked out, and they don't especially want to talk about it. But to Gandalf, you know, he would kind of... That Gandalf would kind of hear them, you know, perceive in them the evidence of their fear and kind of twig to the fact that there was something extra, right, uh, about this. Um, That, you know, seems... uh, uh, That seems really... And that they might, you know... That stories and rumors might come, or there maybe there was a sighting, you know, a sighting of the a dark figure on the road, you know, a, a man in a black cloak on a black horse, and or a, a, a group of black people on a, in a black, uh you know, b- guys in black cloaks on black horses, and, you know, they uh, all they have to do is see them from a distance and get creeped out about them, right? And which they would, everybody does when they see them, um, so, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so I think it is possible. I think it is possible that he can, and and I would think, by the way, as well. Since he's hearing rumors, which he is attributing to the Nazgul, is he gonna look that hard for another explanation? I mean, okay, there's unrest, right? There are refugees coming north who are fleeing unrest in the south. Well, there's a couple options here. One, some war broke out down there. Is that unlikely? Does that need a big explanation? Is Gandalf going to be like, hmm, you know, my heart misgave me when I heard about the unrest in the south? Not necessarily, right? Um, Two, if there is going to be an explanation, well... What he's hearing from the refugees that are coming north are stories about their fear, are stories about this this shadow which suggests to him the tidings that he hears along the way that he believes are unmistaken, unmistaken, unmistakably, that's the word I'm looking for, pointing towards the Nazgul. And he's not wrong about that. But of course, it's not the whole explanation for the whole thing. I'm just saying... I can understand under those circumstances, especially given Gandalf's hurry, why he would not really try to get to the bottom of this. Right? No, no, no. Please. I've got time. Tell me the whole story as to why you fled your home and how this, uh, and how this, um, uh, you know, happened, uh, you know, down in the South. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. So... So again, this is all me saying do I find it credible that Saruman's activities in Dunland could be causing these um, uh, could be causing these uh, um, refugees whole situation and Gandalf be swimming, you know, upstream against the refugees uh, the whole time and not have heard about, you know, the rise of Isengard? Yes. Yes, I, I do. I do think that. Um, uh, I, do, I do think that that's plausible. Um, okay. Not making swift progress through this paragraph, but I guess that's the story of my life, isn't it? Let's see. Fear was ever in my heart for my friends in the Shire, but still I had some hope. I hoped that Frodo had set forth at once, as my letter had urged, before the end of July, so that he would make it to Rivendell. Just get out. Enough with the stealthy plan. I don't care if everybody knows where you can just get out uh, of the Shire right now, because the Nazgul are coming. Um, um, Okay. Yeah, um, hang on one second. I need to do a quick thing here. Okay, sorry. Um, Family text messages coming in in the middle of class. Um, Okay, so his response then um, the reminder not only that his fear... And we talked about at the beginning his parallelism between uh, Butterbur and Sauron. But just coming circling back around then to the incompetence of Sauron, which we started off by laughing at at the beginning of, uh, of our discussion here, um, the power of Sauron is still less than fear makes it. Um, uh, in the circle of Isengard, trapped and alone, It was not easy to think that the hunters before whom all have fled or fallen would falter in the Shire far away. Um, And there are a couple things that I really like about the way that he says these things here. First, and I agree with you, um, Green Great Dragon, that uh, My Friends in the Shire uh, is a nice little further endorsement of the Hobbits. The way that uh, he speaks to the council here, right? Of the hobbits as kind of like his colleagues, right? Um, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, those like helpless little hobbits that I left behind. What were they possibly going to? He doesn't talk about them like that, right? Uh, this, his friends in the Shire, and they're you know not going to be warned except unless Butterbur sends the letter. Um, I think that that's um, I think that that's one really interesting thing there. Um, and of course, notice also how that then connects to the implication, before whom all had fled or fallen would falter in the Shire far away. And yeah, the iteration is beautiful there, isn't it, Tarlonio? Who uh, had fled or fallen would falter in the Shire far away. Uh, fled, fallen, falter, far is, uh, is delightful. But, um, I, But more there. Imagining that the Nazgul would falter in the Shire... We've we spent quite some time looking at this and a lot of we spent a lot of time uh, when we were discussing, you know, from the I was about to call it the uh, the uh, um, the, you know, the uh, Battle of Buckland. It's not exactly a battle, but the conflict in Buckland, right, with the Nazgul, uh, are for our discussions there, uh, through, of course, our discussions of Weathertop and the, you know, the work that I was encouraging us to do as we were going through there, um, to be putting ourselves in the Nazgul perspective and from Looking at things from their point of view and trying to appreciate some of the difficulties that the poor witch king was up against, right? Uh, there it's not as easy as it might sound, um, and but all of that stuff, all of the in fact, the there's a great deal of faltering, in fact, that the witch king and the Nazgûl are going to do, right? Um, and um, that's, um, yeah. The Buckland incident. Yeah, that that seems that seems appropriate. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really fun thinking that Gandalf. How unexpected that was to Gandalf. Remember the premise upon which Gandalf made this whole journey in the first place. Right? Why does he do it? Why does he decide to leave Frodo alone with the ring and ride hundreds of miles out of his way down to Isengard in, or in the desperate hope of help from Saruman? And the answer is, as we were discussing just a few weeks back, because he knows he can't handle it. He can't oppose the Witch King himself. He just can't. Um... He needs help. Not the Witch King and all of the Nazgûl together, right? They are too strong for him. What hope do the hobbits of the Shire, right? What hope do the bounders have in the Shire against the Nazgûl, right? Um, You know, against whom Gandalf's only hope is to band together with, you know, another of the most powerful of, you know, and the one who has been uh, spending longest developing uh, policies uh, for uh, opposing uh, for opposing Sauron, um, it's only by a secret weapon that they could possibly oppose them, and yet the hobbits do it, right? Um, the hunters before whom all have fled or fallen do falter in the Shire far away. These same um, these same Nazgul. The same guy, right? Before whom the armies of Gondor could not stand, by Boromir's own, um, by Boromir's own uh, 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 testimony, right? The, the armies of nobody could abide the coming of the of the Dark Captain on the battlefield, um, and his next stop. Next stop, you know. Uh Bam Furlong, right, um, as the witch king, i don 't know that it's the witch king who comes to Farmer Maggot himself, but um but yet now, Sam, of course, you're absolutely right that they were closer in proximity to Mordor. To what extent do the good guys understand that? Do they know that? We see it, right? We observe it. Um, do they know that for sure? You know, I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, Mad Violinist, it is true, right? What would Boromir say uh, if he heard that the farmers of Buckland blowing horns at dawn routed the captain who... um, Again, and I don't think... Is the Witch King himself there? I think maybe he is. I'm trying to remember. In some of his like flow charts about this. Tolkien describes where the Witch King is, and I'm trying to remember <laughs> what I'm trying to remember is, because there were a bunch of drafts of these, which one he ended up using. Um, yeah, I think he's away south, too. I don't think that he's personally in Buckland. But still, the, the point remains, right? Um, you know, the Nazgul, before whom the armies of Gondor could not stand, run away in front of uh, uh, in front of the the farmers of Buckland. Um, so, um, so anyway, yeah, I I don't I think that that proximity effect might well be ill understood. When was the last time the Nazgul have been up in these parts? Angmar, right? And that was at a different time. That was when the Witch King had set up a center of power for himself up in Angmar, right? So it's not the same. Not the same as as here. Um. um so um. Uh, anyway, yeah Um, but uh, anyhow, so it's natural that Gandalf would have a hard time imagining that the Nazgul would falter in the Shire, among his friends, Gandalf's friends Uh, not the Witch King's friends (laughs) but um, but they do Right? Um, So there's almost like a third term here, right? Um, It's not just his fear is founded on the cunning of Sauron in the sense of his ability to locate the ring. It's also, it's not only on his cunning, it's on his power, as Gandalf seems to invite, you know, and the power of Sauron is still less than fear makes it. The Nazgul do, in fact, falter. In the Shire, I think that he gives a kind of—he's um, giving a kind of backhanded compliment here to the hobbits, in a sense, right? Turns out the hobbits could kind of take care of themselves, right? Better, at least, than Gandalf feared when he was here. Um, but um, but Gandalf is describing a real struggle of hope here, right? His hope, his um, umdir, I suspect, is the hope in question. I don't believe that the Estelle of Gandalf is founded upon a fat man in Brie. I suspect that Gandalf's Estelle is slightly more firmly founded than that. Um, But, um... uh, But, he... There's the question of, is he going to hold to his Estel, to his hope? Things look very bad right now. Um, and he is in a terrible predicament, one of the worst he's been in his life, he says. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, in the circle of Isengard, trapped and alone, it was not easy to think. Um, Is this also, is there a sense in which Gandalf is being actually weakened here, to some extent? And in some ways? In the circle of Isengard, trapped and alone. Not just being trapped, not just being alone, but being trapped and alone in the circle of Isengard. we've talked about him coming into to you know, the, the center of Saruman's power. Um, and yes, Mad Violinist, we will learn that Saruman is capable of exerting his will to speed his allies and discourage his foes. I think it's likely. In fact, I think it's almost um, almost entirely likely um, that that uh, uh, I think it's almost entirely likely that he is exerting his will to lower Gandalf's hope. He wants Gandalf to give in, right? Again, I you know, I said last time, I don't think that Saruman is going to be putting Gandalf on the rack, right? I don't think he's going to be torturing him in any kind of traditional or mundane way in order to get the truth out of him. I think that this is the plan. I think that he is keeping him up on top of the tower, um... Here in the center of the circle of Isengard, at the center of his Saruman's power, so that he can work upon him psychically, spiritually, right? That he can exert his will upon him there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, And yes, yeah, Sam says this comes close to working. If Gandalf concludes that the Nazgul have definitely captured Frodo, he might break. Sam, I can see the possibility of that. I mean, you might want to say Gandalf would never break, but it's not. A... Remember the argument, and JJ, exactly as you say, this is how he's going to get Gandalf to see reason. That's been his Saruman's pitch all along, right? Be wise. Gandalf, if even in your own behalf, right? Be wise. You can't. You need power, right? You can, how are you going to help your friends if you're stuck up here in the tower? But if you work with me, right? I have power. I could help your friends. I can oppose the Nazgul, right? Um, working together, we could certainly make sure that the Nazgul don't take the ring. And look, the Nazgul are already there. They've probably found and killed your friends already. They probably have the ring and are bringing it back to Sauron right now. Surely you would join with me in order to take the ring from the Nazgul, right? Because who wants that, right? So, anyway, I, I do. Um, uh, that does seem to be exactly the kind of line of thinking that Saruman is undertaking. Here. um I, I that again that, that seems to me exactly the kind of thing uh that he's been that he's been working on um uh yeah yeah um yeah and Matt I agree Gandalf freely admits that he's not indomitable that's why he refuses the one ring he knows he would eventually succumb to its temptation this is a similar kind of situation um yes yes Um, And it is a very severe trial of his... This is what Estelle is all about. This is what hope is all about, right? Hope is not thinking that things are going to turn out okay. Thinking that things are not so dark as they appear, right? Estelle can be involved in that. But, like, the true expression of Estelle is to be... Totally surrounded by darkness, for everything to look like it is not turning out well, to have no reason to believe that things are going to turn out well, like no rational reason to believe. I know that's redundant, but you know, I'm just trying to emphasize it there. You know, and 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 to um um to still trust that, to use Galadriel's words, "What should be shall be," right? That. I've always thought was the most elegant expression of the principle of Estelle, of hope, right? What do you want? That what should be, shall be. And to believe that what should be, shall we? No matter how things turn out you know, in the short term, right? Um, Yeah, JJ, when because when you realize that there's light and high beauty forever beyond the shadow's reach, what do you do? What does Sam do? When he has that moment there in Mordor, in the middle of Mordor, alone, without decent supplies, with very little idea of where he's going, and Frodo practically comatose, and Nazgul descending on them, and orcs all over the place, and Gollum still at large, and you see the star through the clouds, and you perceive that there's light and high beauty, what do you do? You go to sleep for Thomas. exactly. You go to sleep without even setting a watch. That's what you do, right? It's not reasonable, right? It is an act of of trust. Sam does that not because he thinks that there's a good reason to believe that they're sufficiently well concealed that nobody's going to find them. It's not about that at all, right? But that he, in that moment, trusts that what should be shall be, that it's not at all under his control, and he goes to sleep, right? That's the place where Gandalf is here, right? Right? Gandalf has no, I mean, everything, almost everything, right? There is still hope, right? There is rational hope. His umdir rests on the fat man in Bree, right? Um, his reason tells him that there is reason to have hope, to believe that things might be okay. That's the thing that he's clinging to. But, but umdir um, lets you down. Umdir lets you down, right? It doesn't always pan out things don't you know even when you believe that there's a really good chance that things are going to turn out well, they don't always that's just not how it works um and he knows that, and of course it turns out that his hope his omdir was not um um was not well founded um yeah yeah um Yeah, now Arden Cran is wondering why he doesn't Gandalf doesn't try to misdirect Saruman, um, uh, you know, or pretend to go along with him or something like that. I saw you suggesting before. Um, I don't think attempting to deceive Saruman—it doesn't seem to be a great plan, you know. Um. Uh, I agree, Trifle, that lying is far more problematic than we'd take it for in today's world. Um, yes, to get out of your fix by telling lies is potentially opens up some means and ends questions in itself, I agree. Um, uh, but also, I, I just... I can't think that that's a likely, that Gandalf would think that's a likely path to success. Um, Saruman is likely, I think, to be able to detect lies. I doubt that Gandalf is going to be able to bluff him. Um, He certainly doesn't even seem to consider that option. Um, Yeah, blatant lying would be using the enemy's tools against him. Yeah, it would. It would. Right. Good. Green Great Dragon is recalling how Aragorn would not snare even an orc with a falsehood. Um, Yes. Yeah. So I agree. I mean, that's uh, um, lying your way out of a situation seems like a perfectly natural, plausible and sensible course of action um, to many of us. Aragorn obviously doesn't think so. And it doesn't seem that Gandalf thinks so either. Sorry, that was Faramir. You're right. It's Faramir who says that. Um, My apologies. Yeah. Um, uh, But um, in any case, yeah, I... I, uh, um, It's possible to imagine any number of ways in which the deceive Saruman plan would backfire um, or could backfire. Um, in direct or indirect ways. So, um, yeah, yeah. But no, I, 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 think, I think that, you know, you guys are right to insist. Can we think of an example? Can anybody think of an example in Tolkien's works? Any of Tolkien's works. Any of Tolkien's Middle-earth works where somebody tells a lie... For a good end, right? Like, you know, to deceive the bad guys. This this same, you know, kind of situation. Um, and it's okay. Like, it's perfectly it's perfectly fine. Um, Frodo doesn't lie about living in Crick Hollow. He, in fact, sells Bag End and buys the house in Crick Hollow, moves all of his stuff. He does move there. He just moves out after a few hours, right? I mean, he's not lying, right? They, he is, in fact, relocating to Crick Hollow temporarily. But he does actually own the house, and he's moved all of his stuff there, right? Um, um, okay, let's see. Um, uh, Gandalf and his staff. We'll come back to Gandalf and his staff. I don't think Gandalf's lying there. Um, and I have to admit, one of the things that annoys me most, um, uh, Carrie, uh, about the um, that moment in the film, what Peter Jackson does with that moment, that little wink... That Ian McKellen gives to his companions, right? That is not not okay. Um, uh, That's not how Gandalf was playing that at all. Um, Okay. I'm thinking of other examples here. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, I agree, Praise, that Sam benefits from the orcs mistaking him for an elf warrior, but he doesn't create that falsehood. Um, uh, I mean, he kind of, he plays up to it, half, but I, even that I think is sardonic, you know, Praise, when he says, like, the great big elf warrior is coming, I think that he's being self-deprecating there. It's not like he's trying to perpetuate the, uh, the deception, I think, even at that point. Um... Uh, Pippin does deceive Grishnach, but he doesn't really tell a lie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, He plays up to him is the phrase that's used there. That one comes close. That one comes close. Um, I don't think being in disguise... uh, I don't think that being in disguise is the same thing. Like being in disguise to try to avoid detection? That doesn't seem to be the same thing as lying, um, Corey. Great uh, uh, point about um, Frodo. Um, Frodo's discomfort with deceiving Gollum, with the way that he is, uh, he's uh, about you know at, at, at the Forbidden Pool, right? Remember that twinge of conscience that he has? Like this was too much like deception. Like he's he almost. Tells a lie. He still doesn't exactly tell a lie, but he comes. He's he's coming. He's he's prevaricating to Gollum, right? Deliberately, and he feels guilty about that, right? Um, um, Frodo saying his name is Underhill. Uh, that seems to me to come under the um, uh, uh, to come under the uh, the the um, the disguise clause. I think. Uh, you know, I I mean technically my name is Underhill is a lie, right? But um uh um Yeah. Yeah. Technically, he is speaking an untruth there, but again, I I I think it's um to me that seems to fall and and you know, JJ says the name Underhill is given to him by, again, you know, it's a traveling name. Take a traveling name, right? Go as Mr. Underhill, says Gandalf, right? Um, I am traveling as Mr. Underhill, right? Um, That whole concept of the uh, traveling name, right? Um, Seems to me, again, it's... Now, are these fine shades? Yes, yes, they are. But again, I still think that's not quite the same thing. Um, <laughs> no, Sam's statement that he was trimming the grass under the window is not a lie. He was, just not at that moment. He had been trimming it. Um, Gandalf doesn't say I haven't heard your shears all day. He says it's been some time since I've heard the sound of your shears. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Baron and Luthien to Morgoth. Mmm. Luthien plays up to Morgoth. And in a parallel I'd never thought of before, kind of like how Pippin plays up to Grishnak. Uh but I'm trying to um Yeah, Yeah, Mad Violinist, you're right. In the Lost Tales version, she out and out lies to Morgoth. That's true. But in the Lost Tales version, she out and out flirts with Morgoth. So, like, her telling lies to Morgoth is... Not the beginning of my moral discomfort with the Baron and Luthien scene in the Book of Lost Tales. Um, she flirts with Morgoth uh, there. So, um, whew, yeah, yeah. I am, um, but I gotta say, the whole moral code of the Book of Lost Tales is in a different place, right? Um, they also, you know, the Valar also take the emissary sent under a, a, a safe passage to deliver Morgoth's message and uh, and throw him off a cliff. <laughs> so I mean, like that's not very honorable either, as Christopher Tolkien points out in his commentaries. There, so um, uh, yeah. Now, Bilbo, you're or, sorry, Bilbo, uh, uh, you're right, and I think somebody was mentioning this before. Bilbo's lies about. How he escaped the goblin, the goblin camp, but that's that's a, that's a red flag, right? He does lie, and remember that they're all saying like how it was very unlike Bilbo anyway to make up a story like that, um, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, so I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry so much about the Book of Lost Tales because the Book of Lost Tales is in a kind of a different space, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Bilbo misleads Smaug. Does he tell any lies to Smaug? Like, actual lies. I mean, flattery, but... Um, uh, did Bilbo lie to Thorne about where the Arkenstone is? No, but he deliberately conceals it, and that's a dubious action, right? I mean, his, his taking and concealing of the Arkenstone is all manner of dubious. Remember, he knows that. He says that himself when he puts the Arkenstone in his pocket. What does he say? Now I am a burglar indeed, right? He never felt like a burglar before. He's been a professional burglar for a long time. Now he never felt like an actual burglar, like a criminal until he steals the Arkenstone. Then he knows he's a burglar. He's, he's a burglar has his feelings, right? Um, and he makes that right. He makes that right. But he, uh, um, uh, but yeah, I know. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Bilbo lies to Smoke. Um, he misleads him, but, uh, uh, but he, uh, you know, by telling riddling names, but they're all true names. Um, uh, Nancy, I don't think Bilbo says explicitly that he's not with the dwarves. I don't, I don't think he utters any lies. Um, I don't recall that he does. I don't recall that he does. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make... Notice how like, we've got to search really hard for... There are very, very few examples. Um, um, uh, there are very few examples about... Um, of people like it's, so. I, I, my point is, I, I think it seems to be a fairly safe general principle. The good guys don't lie. Not even to, not even to, um, uh, you know, not even to orcs, right? Not even to save their lives, not even for a good reason. They don't tell lies. Um, that seems to be a really serious thing. So I, I do, I do think, um, um, that and and if they and JJ, you're right. JJ, I think it was you was pointing out before. It's not that there's like no example of good guys ever lying, just because sometimes even good guys in Tolkien's stories are imperfect, right? But the point is, it's shaky when they do, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, yes, Mike. That's a really good way of putting it. Lying. In the morality of the world that they live in, lying is worse than killing. Yes, or rather, to put that statement in a different way, because I don't think it's th- that's a little bit of a misleading way to say it. Um, it's not like you're better off killing somebody than you know. You're like you're you're le- you're you're a less horrible person if you're a murderer than if you're a liar. But the point is, um, but Mike, just to kind of turn that around, but but I think you're exactly right. There are more circumstances under which killing somebody. Is morally okay? Then there are circumstances <laughs> under which lying is morally okay. That I think is uh, is fair to say, right? Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that's uh, it's an important thing to remember. It's, it's easy, this is this is one way in which the values of our society have shifted very greatly, not just since, you know, the 1930s and 40s, um, but, you know, when this was written, um, but, you know, since the much older time that Tolkien is looking back to. Um, So, um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, It's important to remind ourselves that unlike uh, in within our worldview in which this that kind of lying you know like the 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 ends do justify the means at times you know to you know if you lie for a good reason it's okay um we generally think that way they do not um Velary, as you say words have power um this is clearly true in middle earth um so yeah anyway so Arden Crayon, thank you for bringing up this question about why does it... because I think it's a, it's an excellent question. Gandalf doesn't go there, right? There's nothing in Gandalf's words that suggests that, but it's a wonderful question to ask. Why, why doesn't it come up, right? Why doesn't Gandalf try something on with Saruman here, right? Great question, and I think it's um, uh, I think it's pretty interesting. And Arden Crayon, your question is an excellent one. Weren't there uh, pre-Christian myths of trickster gods that weren't necessarily evil? Sure, yeah. Uh, do the Norse gods live by the principle that you should never, never, never tell a lie? No, they don't. Um, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely, um, um, uh, I, I absolutely think that it's, um, uh, it's a pretty clear piece of evidence, I think, of, um. Uh, that a lot of people like to you know make much and very sensibly very appropriately so um, uh, make uh, uh, make links between tolkien 's world and uh, the northern world the Norse world and the Nor- the northern Germanic world, obviously lots of connections are obviously huge influence in tolkien 's mind, but um, that is not to say that um, Middle-earth is really, like, you know, uh, operating within a completely, you know, uh, northern mindset uh, in this way. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Um, Anyhow. And that's complicated, too. All right. Well, thank you. That was a fun and wide-ranging discussion today, from lying in Tolkien in general to uh, the obvious uh and manifest truth that bob is a hobbit uh and then sandwiching gandalf's paragraph here in between um but um uh, anyway <laughs> thank you for our discussions here this evening um uh anyway okay all right but we got to stop there it is time to go. Uh, so, thanks everybody for joining me tonight. Um, we're going to uh, move to our field trip now. So, I'm going to say bye to the folks on Twitter. Feel free to join us at twitchtv you for our in-game field trip in The Lord of the Rings Online. And um, in our in-game field trip, we are going to go back to the Gladden Fields. Woo-hoo. Are we ready for more fun adventures in keeping Narnian alive?
1: Oh boy, howdy! Hope we got a res guy again.
0: Uh, yeah, I do not do that. Uh, well, actually, it doesn't matter because I get resed back uh, to Bree. I think even if I think even if you try to res me, I go back to Bree. Huh. Um, so I just have to not die, and where yeah, then when I, I do, I have to get the horse back into town. So I'm gonna go. I can't. Uh, I don't. I can't do the milestones. So I gotta. I gotta. I gotta take a horse. So okay. I'm heading back here.
1: What's the stable again?
0: Uh, the stable... Oh, hang on a second. got to do Hold a thing this. here. Hold this. Hold this. Hold this. Yeah, that's where it is. All right. Okay.
1: Sounds good. But, hey. yeah, no, the, the, the no-lying thing reminds me that um, I, I was raised... Uh, catholic and me and my brothers we were always taught with these little stories of the saints and uh, they'd always have to outfox the bad guys without lying without, and lying? without violence
0: <clears throat> right absolutely so, like
1: uh, one of the more famous one i can't even remember which saint it was about which shows what an influence they had on me but i was amused by the fact that he was protecting a man being chased unjustly like a peasant being chased by the the knights or rangers or something like that for a crime and um the saint wanted to protect him, uh, so he advised the man to cli- the criminal to climb up a tree. And then, when uh, the lord and his men questioned the saint, he says, "Oh, he fled north."
0: Right, because the tree he was to the north speak. of him. Because right,
1: it, it, well, no, because the tree was up. Well, the tree was, was up, up right? Yeah, on I a see.
0: map. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: So it, it was kind of like little tricksy wordplay, but it was technically like technically not lying.
0: Right. 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 Well, and some of that is, you know, equivocation, you know, essentially, um, which is really skirting the line of lying. um, Yeah. You know, when you're, you know, but that's, you know, I mean, that is famous, and of course, that kind of equivocation is famously associated, certainly uh, from the Renaissance, uh, and really on as well, um, associated with the Jesuits. You know, I mean, that's Uh like to be Jesuitical, right, is the adjective uh, that is used to describe that kind of activity um, of, you know, telling... Making statements that are technically true, but which you intend to be misunderstood. Um, But again, that whole concept, it, it, it does show you how deeply rooted in the Catholic tradition is this idea that telling a lie is a big deal. Right. Such that even when you are setting out with full intent to deceive, you still need to find a way to do it without actually uttering an untruth.
1: Or even if you are just doing something like saving the life of an innocent man or standing up to injustice, you mm-hmm. still have to be careful with your words because yeah. words have power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do we have uh, folks here who can bravely... Up. Dash- oh, yeah. We should follow up. Yeah. Before we go. That yeah. would be good. That would be good. So i'm uh considering that I haven't really looked at the bore, Guinness. I'm looking at your bore here, the bore mount, yeah that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool when I first heard it i I didn't love the idea, but yeah. Kinda like it. It's fun, anyway.
1: hmm oh, I gotta
0: convert, Alright, converting to raid there.
1: Okay. Yep. And this time I'll make sure I don't have all the squishies on one side.
0: And yes, Katriana, it does go all the way back to I mean it's one of the Ten Commandments about not bearing false witness. So yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, big
1: deal. Right, is that everybody? Nope, you didn't get me. Ah, there you are. You're up at the front. Uh...
0: Are we confident enough to ride on horses and other various sundry quadrupeds? Um, yeah,
1: well, there are all those vines in the lane. Right. That we're kind of a bit of a pickle last time.
0: Yeah, that that's what killed me last time.
1: Yep. Yeah. So put one of these hunters over here.
0: And, and of course, like we have to, we have to slay all the squirrels and everything else.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, but we are headed back. So where we're gonna go? And we're going back to the Gladden Fields, back to Sharky's Slough, in order to um, I want to kind of work out from there a little bit. Uh, and look around the gladden fields in particular, I kind of want to... I can't get that close to this... Are those midges or something? What is that?
1: Yeah, those are midges. Those
0: are, good. are they going to kill me? Probably.
1: Yeah, probably, yeah. Death by paper cuts.
0: Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that I felt like I was... Yeah. ...being destroyed by a swarm of... biting insects. Um... Oh, you've been camping, too? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, okay. I guess also on horseback, I've got a better chance of outrunning whatever comes after me. Okay, that bog guardian makes me really nervous. I know he's a friendly, but... Okay, all right. We're doing fine uh good good so we've got to continue south away. what's off what's off quick question what's on this island over here it's a little island
1: uh do not know can i
0: explore the island can we can we can we can we can we we go this way can we go west
1: we can try is that all right but we can try
0: let's go west and then we can swim down the river maybe okay from there?
1: Uh, this might be the part of the river that it's so fast that it kills you, though. Right? Oh,
0: okay. Well, we wouldn't want to do that.
1: Uh, well, I can go in first and test it.
0: Uh-oh. Hang on. Oh, okay, no. I thought that the, this... Uh... The
1: island due west is fine.
0: Okay. okay. We'll go to the We'll go to the island. Boy, someone is having a really drawn-out battle with that buck over there. There's some kind of epic struggle in process. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, I keep getting turned around.
0: It's still going on. That buck is still uh, holding his own, looks like. Okay. Alright, I am headed out across, hoping no... Uh, none of the local fauna are going to take against me. As we... Wait, where does this... H- how does this dead end? Do I have to go... I have got to swim from here? Is that the island? I guess that's the island? Yes. Okay. All right, we're swimming.
1: Oh no, it's like Even-Dim again.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Ruin to the north. Who is that lovely creature? Now, we must have seen that.
1: It's the bridge.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so it's got to be a dwarf bridge, this being the dwarf road. Oh, well, I look forward to going back to there. I remember seeing it from a distance and being like on the other side and being like, "Ooh, I really want to see that," and I couldn't, but um Okay, we'll get back there. We'll get back. Yeah. We'll 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 head out and do the like area to the north of Holtvis at some point soon. Okay. But I'm exploring. Okay, so here, we're on this... On this... It's, a uh, Avabarg. Okay, Avabarg. Who made this path, I wonder? Something does make paths, doesn't it? Yeah. So, it's probably not Tom Bombadil... Well, what have we here? Okay. Oh. We've got a little ruin. First blush, it looks exactly like an Arnorian ruin from the north, but yes, far more corroded, especially the arch there, so we can't see any sign. There's no... Yeah.
1: There's stuff in Angmore better built than this right now, huh? Yeah. No markings or plinths that I can see.
0: No, I don't see any evidence. Um...
1: Got a nice arch though. That there are some
0: Shophog High JJ? I, I have no idea what those are either. Shopog High? Fortunately it doesn't look like these ruin this ruin is infested with them. Well. Alright, so I'm gonna go on a on the assumption. Cause I mean, geographically speaking. Uh-huh. wow well, it's puzzling. Geographically speaking, we're we are we are not there. That is not where we are. We're up here. Okay, we're on the river. Practically right in the middle of the river. Yeah. Okay. But we are so far north. So far north of Gondor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, by the way, one of the things that coming here physically in-game uh, really brings home to you is how close Isildur got Basically, before he got ambushed, you know? Um, yeah. You know, he got almost all the way to the past. He was practically in the mountains, you know, yeah, he before he got ambushed. I mean, it's right there. Um, That's,
1: it's, it's almost, uh, almost as far north as Boromir did, and that took him, what, 70 days or something?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's way north. Um, but, um, Anyway, that's one thing. But but Gondor never stretched up north of the Argonoth. Mm-hmm. Arnor never came over here. So although it looks like an Arnorian ruin, it can't be an Arnorian ruin.
1: It must be related to the Dale Men.
0: It's gotta be. It's gotta be. Um
1: The story will tell you whose it is.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, so Griffith will one day learn who used to live here. But Narnian's job is not to discover things by talking to people. Narnian's job is to draw vastly speculative conclusions just by visually observing things, like an archaeologist who has no quest text to assist him. That's why, you know, Narnian's calling is a is a high and noble and a lonely calling. Um, but... Um, yeah, so I would speculate, though, the stone cutting. I think that these people were definitely influenced by Gondor, and if or Arnor,
1: related.
0: if not distantly related. Yes. Hmm. Okay, let's see what we find further uphill because this is this looks like a little a little outpost, a little summer home. Yeah.
1: There's a little. There's uh, buildings on either side of the road.
0: So another one which on implies
1: the... this was maybe sort of toll or watch station.
0: Oh, over here, right, right, yeah. It looks like the stub of a wall, right over there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. this
1: might have been like a place to get your uh, passport stamped or whatever.
0: Okay. Or okay.
1: an inn could have been oh, an inn. Oh, and
0: here's another one, further up. No uh, oh. dangerous squirrels or deer right or anything that like that. Yeah. Uh, wild horses, right? But those are friendlies. Okay, All so, right. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. They're bright green. I think you're okay there.
0: Okay, nothing. I didn't know to assume
1: anything, honestly.
0: Right. No, the horses aren't going to attack me. That's a good sign. I must be doing something right. Um. Huh. Huh. Still not seeing any evidence of any markings on any of this, and that's the same thing seen from above okay okay all right another tower so we have a bunch of minor works here oh they're all over the place this is like a oh,
1: yeah, this, this is a like city. a
0: village yeah like a little city here and yeah. a, and what an interesting and rather sensible place for it in this. Little island sticking out here—it's like Kire Andros, right? It's like uh, Osgiliath even. Um, yeah,
1: it's a way station on the river. Yeah, we'll stop, get repairs, get food supplies, pick up another chain of uh, merchandise.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, you could, you know, control river traffic, so you could you could set up tolls or something if you wanted to. Um, it does not look like dwarvish construction. I don't see any evidence. I mean, look at all these round arches. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that is so gondolin.
0: Yeah. Now, here's one of the first did... arches whose keystones we can see, and there's nothing on it.
1: Yeah, I'd see. because I'm, I'm looking at it now, and I'm going, do we know if the others were rounded or gothic arches? Because I can't remember now. Like, were there any complete, or were they all
0: busted apart? No, I think we... Oh, you, on there's the island? Romanesque do we... arch.
1: No, no, this arch is very Romanesque. Yep. You see how rounded it is. it is.
0: It is. And that, I believe, if my memory serves, fits what we saw, like, in Arthodyne and such. Okay, okay. I think.
1: I, I seem to recall a lot of arches, but none of them complete.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's unusual. But, now we do get some things like that. Okay, now, that, the keystone of that arch looks a little bit more full. Let's see if we can get a little closer to that. Okey-dokey. Looks like it could have something on it. No. That's no, e- weathered marble. Not even an artichoke. No.
1: Kind of dark
0: looking Those are probably capitals. just... It almost, like, it almost looks like the remnants of ruins, doesn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: It almost looks like the remnants of ruins, but not quite. So I think that this is the great house up on the hill. If those are other sort of minor buildings around town, this yeah. is clearly the major stronghold. Right? Oh, oh, ah! Yeah, oh, would you just look at that!
1: There was governance here.
0: Oh, my oh, goodness!
1: yep, 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 look at that.
0: Root hour as plain as day. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable! What do you know?
1: I would've thought he'd come all the way out oh. here.
0: Well, but if you think about it now, if we go back and we go back to our map, we're here and it's right across. I mean, we're... Yeah. I mean, Rudauer was all through the Trollshaws. uh, Not around, not in Rivendell itself, of course. Um, But um, if one of the, you know, the Arnorian Kingdoms was going to extend well, across the mountains, you know that would make sense. Where we we're meeting?
1: Yeah, <laughs> everyone's respond. I'm like, oh, what a nice quiet place full of pretty horses. goblins. <laughs>
0: right. Oh, that these were there were goblins in here.
1: Apparently there were.
0: See, our our no, troop did a better job than we
1: thought because I thought it was abandoned.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that was. Yeah. No, I thought it was abandoned too. What, a, what an what excellent job our troop did here. Respite. Yeah okay so is there anything on the doors no it's just textured and weathered but that is Rudarn so but but again it makes it is at least contiguous it's on the other side of the mountains but if this is um no wait hang... oops somebody just killed me oh, dang it. it's okay it's,
1: it's hard. Hard.
0: that's all right it's almost time to go anyway okay. And this looks like the best evidence we're going to... I could still see uh, for, oh, another little while. Um, yeah. Yep, yeah, so no, I mean, okay. So, well, didn't Look, didn't we say it looked Arnorian from the beginning?
1: Yeah, we did.
0: Right, Arnorian, knows. So, it is... It does open. That's
1: almost a dwarven door. There's no lock on it. Here, wait, could you
0: open it again? Could you open it again so I can peek in? Can we get inside? Is that an instance there that we, we can do?
1: Yeah, it looks like. It's just a regular entry.
0: It's just a regular, regular entry? entry? Yeah, okay. but there's
1: bad guys in here that will need serious right. killing to keep it clear for you. It's much killing of bad things. Right.
0: Yeah, so this this must have been an outpost. Right. Or some kind yeah. of expansionist move. Um, it's really fascinating because, of course, the Ruudaurans were the ones who would have controlled the passes to the Misty Mountains, at least the ones that wouldn't have been, you know, left open by the folk of Rivendell themselves. Um, so they would have controlled the major road over the mountains and that they would want to set up. A stronghold here on this cunning island in the middle of the river—that um, makes all kinds of sense. It's a very logical expansionist point for the growing Rudauran Empire. Uh
1: huh.
0: An interesting oh, kind of. Says guys. An, an interesting kind of beachhead, in a sense, that we can see the Witch King wanting to sort of begin to build, expanding to the other side of the mountains. That's really interesting. Hmm. Huh. Well, yeah. I um.
1: The other thing is, maybe it was an embassy.
0: But that would suggest there was like some other nation that they were wanting to negotiate with or discuss with. And I don't. Oh, well, there is Merkwood. Yeah, but that wasn't a nation then.
1: Uh true enough, but it it would be here to like establish with with King's permission to establish communication between them and the northern kingdom
0: you mean like the elves of Mirkwood? yes, maybe, maybe, but i I think the wood elves are more i don't know reclusive than that you know i don't I'm not that's, sure
1: that's why we're not exactly on their land right
0: now, right, yeah, um yeah.
1: Uh, no. The other I... thing is, this just could be where the hill, the men outside of Bjorn's gates came from. There was a, an attempted expansion that failed, and everyone just sat down, put up roots, put down.
0: Maybe. I don't know. I think it's. I. I think. It's, I mean, it was. This was. These were clearly fortifications. We're not looking at beach houses here, even though it's a lovely scenic spot. But it's a lovely scenic spot that is immensely defensible. Um. Uh, and with strongholds with walls, I think, um, uh, yeah, I think they're trying to establish this stronghold, control the river at this point, um, because if they were ever to continue expanding, um, under the influence of Angmar, of course, then, you know, like, first Arnor next Gondor, right, would presumably be the Witch King's plans, um... And he had just, you know, succeeded in conquering Arnor um, with the fall of Fornost, right? And then things, you know, everything kind of goes backwards. And it, you know, sure turns out that invading Gondor was probably not going to be in his short-term plans, uh, as there was no way he could stand up to Gondor. But, um, um, but yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, um, potentially, for trade and supply. GDC, as you say, I mean, there's 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 all kinds of reasons why they would benefit from having an outpost like this that could send supplies over the mountains um yeah fascinating
1: a lot of authority for just just merchant stuff
0: yeah i mean it's it's there's i mean it's definitely there's definitely a political element here that's why i'm thinking expansionism of one kind or another i mean even getting supplies and trade is still a form of expansionism do we think there
1: was something here that isildur was actually trying to shoot for here here
0: yeah, I think here. he's just shooting for the pass. I think he's just crossing over, and that's where he chose chose to cross. I mean, and I'm forgetting. Well, I mean, could there
1: though. have been an earlier version of this? Oh.
0: nah, no. Because I mean, it's root so it's descendant of Arnor. So no, no, it's it's. Uh, but like, right? I mean, are you thinking of like, could the root have claimed this? Could he? Okay, here's the one idea. Okay. What if Elendil sort of established a... when he came over, right? Uh-huh. When Elendil came over the first time, right? When they were coming down, when he and Isildur were coming down, they yeah. crossed over the mountains, got to this point and said, this is a nice defensive position right here, right? Uh-huh. You know, it'd be kind of nice to establish a strong point on this little island on the river here. And so were the was the birth of this and so that's that is what Isildur was thinking? Like I'm gonna go back that's up what, and we'll... that's
1: what I'm thinking. That was my yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. That this yeah. was once something else that belonged to to the great kingdom and eventually just other things were built around it, but it was always here. Right. Like maybe this was also maybe like maybe the redouran stuff is stuff that was added on later during refurbishments or rebuilds or just redecoration even.
0: Especially as one of the things that had to be, even in Elendil's mind, he had the war with Sauron in his mind, so he had other things to think about. Um, But certainly Elendil, as he was marching back north, he's not just a let's-get-home-as-quick-and-safe-as-possible mode, right? I mean, he's the High King of Gondor and Arnor. He's not just leaving. When he leaves to head north... as of course the Arnorian Dúnedain, you know Arvedui and such, maintain later on. He's not just abdicating in Gondor, right? He's the High King in Gondor as well. So, sh- pr- surely, probably, mm-hmm. right? Elend or not, not Elendil. Well, possibly Elendil, but certainly, a would have had in his mind, and probably have been discussing with Meneldil while he was down there. Um, some kind of, like, how can we join up our kingdoms, right? How can we connect our... Even if we don't want to necessarily, like, you know, annex and rule all of the lands in between to make it one big, gigantic empire. But, like, lines of communication, right? Lines of travel. How can we best secure routes by which we can travel? One way, of course, is the Greenway through the... You know, what becomes the Greenway through the Gap of Rohan and up north. But more than one road is good, especially since if you're taking goods being able to come up and down the mountain is going to be... Or up and down the mountain. Up and down the river is helpful, right? You do have the mountains there, which is challenging. But again, one could imagine a river route that goes north from Gondor, you know, around the Portage Way, around Raros, and then up the river, and then across the mountains from there would be an alternative that could be useful compared to... um uh compared to... uh the trip across Cowanarthen and then up through Dunland and Edwife and and Eregion. Um,
1: Even if it wasn't a merchant post, it would be a good uh, message post.
0: Yeah, yeah, conceivably. So yeah, that does seem like a plausible reason why... um, uh, Yeah, uh, JJ, I would imagine that Lorien and Rivendell would have entered into their plans as this route would also enable them to stay in closer touch to two significant allies right
1: yeah they, the alliance is still kind
0: of right arguably you know. three in fact cuz again if we look at the look at look at our big picture here right we've got our straight route down to gondor of course we also have lothlórien right there um the elves of northern Mirkwood, who remember came and fought in the last battle in the, you know in the in the battle of the last alliance uh, with yep. them, so Isildur would have known uh, Thranduil um, yep. from them, I and his dad died. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at slash fund.